One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I thought about lots of my friends or, or my colleagues who had been pregnant in London and how much how much fear they had of giving birth in hospitals here and, and the situation there was was ten times worse. My name's Madeleine Davis and I'm the health and science editor at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Maddie is a colleague of mine at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and I often overhear her talking with editors using names of diseases or complicated pharmaceutical products that I've never heard of. So it was something of a reassurance to hear that even she had to work hard to understand what these terms meant. I think there were months and months where there was so much jargon and I didn't study medicine, I did a degree in English Lit which just involved reading classic books then sort of giving my opinion and rounding up the criticism on them so it was completely different. I had worked in health reporting for a while so I knew the structure of the NHS and how hospital departments worked and things but the actual subject matter of I didn't really know what Staphylococcus aureus was for example and I hadn't I hadn't realized that E. coli was such a big infectious killer in the UK so it just involved a period of asking medical professionals to repeat themselves about a hundred times whenever they spoke one sentence. For several years now, Maddie has been doggedly reporting on a little talked about but very scary issue. The rise of antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Infections that are impervious to any of the drugs we currently expect to cure things. There is a new warning out this morning about the growing dangers of superbugs. Five people have died in Britain whilst infected with a new type of superbug. This program. They're diseases which can kill, and we're running out of drugs with which to treat them. This is a global issue. Something that could affect the whole world. So we'd been working in the UK and written a few stories, but what we realised was that the global picture was just as important because any bacteria bred in one area spreads all over the world. And there were lots of countries where the regulations around antibiotics were a lot more lax. The infection, prevention and control, the cleaning of hospitals was a lot worse, so bacteria spread... In the UK, this, this subject had received not a lot of investigative journalism, but a lot of profile in the press. So there were stories about the UN meetings, whereas we realised that in many countries, people weren't even aware of it as a topic. So we wanted to expand and look at the global picture because any solutions would have to come from the global level, really. That even in the UK, if we followed every guideline bacteria would still be bred in other countries and with global travel would still travel to the UK. So Maddie knew this was going to mean leaving the confines of our small office in central London. To really get a sense of what was going on, she was going to have to travel all over the world 
And soon, she came across a paper that led her to one country in particular. I was sitting in the office just Googling. I was looking at which countries were facing problems with antibiotic resistance, kind of Googling studies around it. And there really is hardly any data on antibiotic resistance in sub-Saharan Africa, or there aren't very many studies that have looked at it for a long period of time, which you need to really to, to see rises in resistance. So I came across this study, and it was called something really boring, like trends in bloodstream infection from 1998 to 2016 or something like that. So I read it and thought, oh, well, that's a, a good period of time. Pulling up the report, she started to scan the pages and pages of technical writing, and it showed something stark in the medical history of the country. The antibiotics were brought in to help people with HIV, and they'd been massively successful and, and prevented a lot of deaths, as well as factors like subsidies for fertilizers so people could grow their own food but people living longer and and people living longer with HIV meant they caught a lot more infections there was a big outbreak of resistant salmonella so the country had brought in this drug called ceftriaxone a broad spectrum antibiotic which means it kills a, a whole range of bacteria not just one bacteria and that had saved the lives of many people with salmonella, which has passed through dirty water and contaminated food. And so that had saved a lot of people's lives. That was interesting, Maddie thought. But reading on, she realised the long-term consequences of this outbreak were more serious than anyone could have imagined. About a decade later, the country had started to see huge rises in levels of bacteria that were resistant to that drug. And that was the, the last, the kind of top-tier antibiotic they had in the country. So any patient that got an infection that was resistant to that drug, there was basically nothing else they could give them. And there was one phrase in the report that really stood out. It made Maddie's blood run cold. This study said something quite stark, like we are already facing a post-antibiotic era in Malawi. A post-antibiotic era. Could Malawi be the canary in the coal mine? A sign of what was to come. Her interest peaked. Maddie wanted to hear more. So she found the researcher's name and tracked down his contact details. Really, luckily for me, the researcher was incredibly welcoming and helpful. He was one of the authors of the study and he confirmed what he said in that and said there's a resistant infection spreading around the baby's ward at this hospital and frankly we don't really know what to do about it we don't know where the bugs are coming from we don't always have the antibiotics to treat it so it would be really great if you could come here and report on this research and report on this issue Maddie knew she needed to go out to Malawi to find out more I went to my editors and said we've got this this story about Malawi where there are issues of water and sanitation in the hospitals and they've got this big problem with resistance and there's a, a resistant bacteria spreading in the, the, the ward where babies are kept and the doctors just don't know what to do about it, so I think I should go there. And they agreed that that was a good story and would highlight this issue really well. And having made contact with that friendly researcher, the author of the study, well, that was already proving helpful. So it was really good to get his approval because he could help get the hospital director's approval to allow us to go to the hospital, which is really key. And throughout my reporting, that's been an incredibly difficult thing to get. So in many countries, in order to go and report from a hospital, you almost need the Minister of Health's of that country's permission. 
and many countries are just really hostile to journalists going anywhere near their hospitals, especially if they're not in a great state. So he was able to secure that permission from us, which was fantastic. The next thing Maddie needed to do was find a local journalist, a fixer, who could help her report when she got there. Not enough is made of the importance of a good fixer. They can be the difference, not just between getting the story or not, but doing it safely, respectfully, and really just understanding the lay of the land. I started to try and get in touch with local journalists who could help me translate interviews if I wanted to speak to patients, and and it was very difficult. Lots of the journalists were in Ilongwe, the capital, whereas this hospital was in Blantyre. But eventually I came across a journalist who'd done a lot of investigative work and who'd done a lot on health policy. And I spoke to her on the phone and she seemed really great, so we started planning it. The flights were booked, and already Josephine was finding Maddie people to talk to. But at this point, Maddie's still in the UK, and that means the dreaded long-distance phone call. There are definitely huge issues with having phone conversations in that the Wi-Fi can be really bad there. It's really difficult to get through to somebody. When you do get through, trying to have a conversation about a complex topic like antibiotic resistance, so talking to someone about something emotive like their wife dying but trying to ascertain if she died of a resistant infection with somebody who may not understand or have been told that it's for me to decide whether this is a case study that is appropriate for our story while also using a line on whatsapp or skype where you can barely hear anything is so difficult so it's quite a long and frustrating process It was mid-2018 when Maddie finally made her way to the airport and got ready to board the plane. I'd been to Malawi once before when I was about 16, but I hadn't visited any hospitals. I actually had had no memory whatsoever of touching down in Malawi the first time I went. Um, So this time, yeah, I remember... I landed in Lilongwe and then I was going on to Blantyre after a few meetings. I remember seeing the, the tiny, tiny planes on the runway and the kind of vast landscape and being really struck that this was very different from flying out of Heathrow. But at the back of her mind, there was panic about all the things that were required from her during the trip. You see, on foreign reporting visits, you know that you have a really limited time to get everything you need. Often every day is packed full and it can be a really daunting task. So I think I was really nervous because I was doing a lot of filming and I was just very, very hopeful that people would keep to their meetings and that I'd be able to find case studies and that everything was going to plan. So it was a feeling of of great excitement, but also a lot of nervous energy that I'd be able to get the story that I'd hoped I'd get. It was one of the first big trips that I'd done and I hadn't filmed before. And so I'd learned to film on this iPhone beforehand, but I was still very nervous about it, about putting different microphones in, using different stands, stuff which is probably very basic to many journalists. During my practice, I'd accidentally put the focus on on the wrong setting and then couldn't get it off. So I was just a bit terrified that something like that would happen while I was in Malawi in a really key moment, and then I'd have to come back empty-handed. But there was no time to waste panicking. As soon as Maddie touched down, her work started. First things first, Maddie had a meeting in the capital, Lingongwe. 
So she and Josephine set off to meet with a very important person, the chief of medical services for the whole country. Maddie needed to sweet-talk him in order to get vital access to many of the state-run hospitals. So I was going to get a broad overview about the situations in the hospitals, antibiotic resistance and the ministry's plans. But again, it, it felt like it was going wrong from the very beginning in that we turned up at the Ministry of Health. My fixer called and there was no answer. Again, we sat in the car for about at least half an hour, 40 minutes with no answer. We phoned a range of people and they all said, oh, we think he's at this meeting. We think he's at this other place. So from sort of day one, I thought, oh no, everybody's just going to forget that they said they'd speak to me. And even though I've called them to remind them that I won't be able to get these interviews. Anyway, eventually we found him and he was just in a meeting that, that had overran. So I went up and interviewed him and it all went well. And then I flew to Blantyre and that was where the real work started. Blanta is a city in the highlands of southern Malawi. It's the country's second largest city, but for Maddie, it would be the gateway to rural areas beyond. She and Josephine were off to see how some of the most stretched hospitals in the country were managing. Soon, they were bumping down the road towards a small structure, a hospital building, but one without any clean running water. It was really eye-opening and shocking. So there were pregnant women who'd come from nearby villages because they didn't want them to give birth at home, who were sleeping on this stone floor. And it was a like an old sort of farmhouse building. There was a, a rusty bike in one corner. The whole place was filthy with dust and dirt, dogs coming in. There was this sink that wasn't working that was just filled with dried corn. And the women were just asked to bring a sheet that they could sleep on. And that was the same sheet that they'd later give birth on in the in the ward of the hospital which was next door they had all of their possessions in plastic buckets and they'd cook their food on little sort of gas lit stoves and then when they were ready to give birth maybe in three weeks time they'd move to the main ward but not even being able to wash their hands or wash this sheet and the other thing they were asked to bring was a razor blade so that when they cut the cord they'd have this blade. But some of the women bought it from the nearby market and those market used sort of second-hand razor blades that had already been used. Sadly, Maddie was hearing just how common these kinds of birthing conditions were. Almost half the hospitals in the country functioned without running water. So we got to this hospital and it was a, a hospital where there was no running water. So, so there was no water to clean equipment and sometimes there was no electricity to sterilise the equipment. So there was this room which was filled with sinks but that weren't working so one of the workers went over and and turned on the tap for me and showed that nothing came out and then I saw women who'd carried these big buckets on their head and they'd walk to the nearby borehole which wasn't too far away but was still a good two or three minute walk from the hospital and then kind of comedically they'd put these big buckets of water in the sink and next to the sink was this pile of rusty razor blades and kidney dishes which were going to be used on the pregnant women. Making her way inside the building, Maddie looked around. She knew she wanted to talk to some of the women there, but she wasn't sure where to start. And at once, she was intensely grateful for her fixer, Josephine, who was there by her side. We drafted 
these consent forms and I had um, my fixer Josephine translate them into the local language. So it said, we're from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, we're doing this story in Malawi about antibiotic resistance. At each point, I wanted to make it clear that speaking to us or not speaking to us, it was their choice and that it wouldn't affect their care or the care of their child, whether they spoke to us or not. But I think things like that consent are really difficult in developing countries. So that was translated, and before we spoke to anybody, she read it to them and asked them if they understood it or if they had any questions, and then repeated that they had no obligation to speak to us. But still, lots of these were young girls, and you could tell sometimes they were a little bit sort of shell-shocked by having someone there. She works as a journalist and works in health, so she's got a lot of experience of phrasing things. And so there was a lot of kind of making people feel comfortable and then seeing if they wanted to speak to us, which was in some ways great, but we also had only had one day at this hospital to kind of get everything we needed. So it was quite stressful having to sort of, you know, speak to everybody for quite a long time before getting to the interview. Aware of the hours slipping by, Maddie and Josephine conducted interview after interview. We would either sit on the floor next to them while they were on their sheets, or I think we were asking one of the ladies to just show us where she slept, so we sort of stood as she showed us. I've done reporting trips like this before. Times when you're asking people to let you into some of their most stressful or traumatic moments. It can be tough to do, and even harder to do sensitively. And at the end of the day, you know you'll be leaving that place for a hot meal in a hotel room. I think with a lot of foreign journalism, sometimes you get a sense that you are a a white person kind of coming in, reporting on these problems and then going back to your very nice hotel in the evening. So it wasn't a nice feeling to witness that and then know that I could go back to something very safe and clean. Little by little, Maddie was building a picture of how unsanitary conditions in hospitals could create the perfect conditions for infections to spread and take hold. We were looking at all the different ways in which that could happen in Malawi. So in the UK, for example, there are incinerators for placentas, but in Malawi they didn't have that. So all the the waste from the hospital, including that waste, would just go into a sort of pit nearby. There was only one working toilet, so people's excrement which has a lot of resistant bacteria in it again was just going into a pit nearby so that all of that bacteria which included resistant bacteria could spread back to the hospital and infect mothers giving birth or what we were looking at was newborn babies so newborn babies are really vulnerable to infection because their immune system hasn't developed yet so if they're born into unhygienic surroundings then it's much more likely that they'll catch an infection it's much more likely that that infection will get into their blood and it's much more likely that they'll die before they're a month old and Malawi has had huge successes in vaccinating young children and raised nutrition rates so the rate of children who are below five has gone down quite a lot but the rate of babies dying before a month old has stayed quite stubbornly stable it's gone down a bit but but not there hasn't been very much progress. So I wanted to look at why that was, and a lot of it was to do with hygiene. And then, to a small extent, a lot of it was also due to the rise of resistant bacteria, which meant they just didn't have drugs to treat it. After grabbing some sleep in the hotel, Maddie was ready for another day of reporting. 
This time, she'd meet a mother and baby whose story would stay with her. More after this. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Madeleine Davis is in Malawi, reporting on unsanitary hospital conditions that have led to an outbreak of drug-resistant superbugs. She's already visited several hospitals by now, but halfway through the trip, and she and Josephine are just pulling up at another health centre. But getting permission to enter was going to be another thing entirely. So yeah, we'd gone to Queen's Hospital, Blantyre, which was the hospital that was in the study that I'd found and that had all the data about a rise in resistance. I was due to meet Dr. Kawaza, who ran the neonatology ward, the baby ward at the hospital. So I kept calling him, and the researcher that had put me in touch with him had said he was happy to speak to me. He'd confirmed a couple of days before that he could speak to me. Um, so I kept going to the baby ward and asking, is Dr. Kawaza here? Can we come and, and do the interview here now? And the doctor that was there would say, absolutely not. You need the hospital director's permission. You need Dr. Kawaza's permission to, to come here. So I'd show them my letter and say, look, I've got permission from Malawi Liverpool Welcome Trust. I've got permission from the hospital director. Can we come in? And they'd say, OK, you can come in. So you'd wait for Dr. Kawaza, but we couldn't get a hold of him. So I decided to go back to speak to another doctor who was the, the head paediatrician there, And so the nurses told me to go and knock on her office door. She wasn't there. So it was this kind of exercise of going back and forth between these two departments, trying to find one of these two people to speak to or to, 
to repeat that we did have permission that we could interview people there. Eventually, I think we bumped into Dr. Quaza in the corridor. I didn't know who he was because I'd never met him before. I'd only speaking to him on the phone. So he introduced himself and said, oh, yes, I can speak to you in 20 minutes. So finally, we could breathe a sigh of relief. Once they did get speaking to the doctor, he talked openly and frankly. It feels sad because you have a mother who has waited for nine months to, 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 to get a baby. Uh, and, and then you lose that baby from a potentially uh, treatable condition. Uh, it feels frustrating. And he was saying, yeah, the situation is awful. Lots of them are getting this resistant bacteria. We don't know exactly where the bugs are coming from, whether it's the hospital ward itself, the babies were kept in these big wooden cots, whether it's doctors and nurses not washing their hands, the mothers coming in to feed them, or whether there are other environmental factors that we just don't know about. And often the babies die, or if they don't die, they're left with severe disabilities from having an infection for so long. And it was a real catch-22 because blood samples were quite expensive. So as soon as they realised that a baby had an infection that wasn't responding to antibiotics, they'd send off for a blood sample. The lab results would take about four days to come back. So in that time, if it turned out they were giving antibiotics that don't work, that's four days where a baby has had a serious infection. And until they got those lab results, they didn't know whether to change them to a different drug. Once they did get the lab results that said they needed to change to a different drug, sometimes they just didn't have the drug. So what could they do? Maddie asked if she could speak to any of the women being treated there. She wanted to hear from them what it was like caring for your child in such conditions. And he said it's really difficult because we don't explain to them that they've got an infection that's resistant to antibiotics. That would be an incredibly difficult thing to communicate. He told me that I had to remember that many people were uneducated here, so having conversations about medical issues just wasn't usually done. And he said he he felt that was problematic, but just with the time resources, with so many patients to see, he couldn't. He didn't have the time to have long conversations with each family. But eventually the doctor relented. Come back tomorrow, he told Maddie, and you can talk to another doctor. Then they might be able to point her to people that were in a position to be interviewed. So that's just what Maddie and Josephine did. And that's how she met Lillian and her tiny baby, Abigail. He told us we could speak to another doctor who'd be able to identify the babies that had resistant infections and maybe we could speak to their mothers. So we came back the next day and we were able to speak to Lillian. And I remember distinctly it was a a really emotionally difficult interview because her baby, Abigail, was sitting in this room. It was an isolation room, so it was a sort of glass-fronted room in the corner of the hospital. So there are about three or four babies in there. They were all extremely thin, extremely small. They were all under UV lights. They all had tubes going into their noses. They were quite listless and weren't very active. Lillian came in and she started to take her breast milk and put it into a syringe in order to feed her daughter. And we watched her carefully take her daughter out of the, the cot and sort of cuddle her and give her this, this milk. And then it was really difficult to, to start to have a conversation about how her daughter had had this infection and what she hoped for. But again, she spoke really frankly about how she hoped she thought her daughter was doing a lot better 
now she was here, she was hopefully getting the drugs that she needed and they'd seen an improvement. And so I remember we had to stop and pause quite a lot just to be able to ask the next question, like, how do you feel about the fact that she might die? Or how do you feel about the fact that she might have an infection that can't be treated? But luckily, Lillian was very positive and, and answered those questions without becoming offended or, or becoming too dismayed. I guess people are already having, you know, they're in hospital with a very sick child, so sometimes it can, it can feel a bit horrible to ask a question like, Is your, are you worried your child's going to die? But if it leads to a story which changes other people's minds all around the world, then I guess it's worth it. And all that has implications beyond one country alone. Malawi is a good example of a post-antibiotic era. So people getting infections and then the hospitals just not having the drugs to treat them or not always having the drugs. And we're almost reaching that situation in, in many different countries. So resistance in, is rising in many countries, including in the West. Doctors are warning that people are coming in for routine operations and then catching an infection and the consequences are a lot more severe. So rather than just having their hip replacement and going home and recovering, they're having a hip replacement and then that's ending in a, having their leg amputated or ending in death. And so if resistance continues to rise and if antibiotics continue to be misused, over-prescribed and used to make animals grow fratter and used in ways which, which contribute to the rise of superbugs, then these bugs will spread. The proportion of resistant bugs will begin to creep up and up until nearly every infection needs a, the next class of drugs to treat it. And we only have a finite supply of antibiotics, so no new class of antibiotics has been developed since the 1980s. There have been new tweaks to classes and, and new drugs and new molecules found, but there's no new class which we can rely on to treat the next generation of bugs. And so slowly and slowly, unless we act, we're inching towards a future where we can't treat infections with antibiotics, and that would have a massive impact on our health system because our whole health system is set up to rely on antibiotics to treat infections. In the end, Maddie was in Malawi for just 10 days. In that time, she visited five hospitals and interviewed countless officials as well as mothers. Flying out of the country, her head was buzzing with all that she'd learnt. I, th I thought we had everything we needed for the story, but it was just about how to, how to make it a story that wasn't just about all the bad things in hospital, you know, how about the hospitals were poorly resourced and how to show that there was a lot of work going on to reduce infection about a month later, Maddie had written up her article for the Bureau of Investigative Journalism's website. It was being co-published with CNN online. But there was one last tragic detail she needed to add in at the very last minute. We were still getting the story and the film ready for publication with CNN. And Josephine sent me a WhatsApp saying, so I'd asked Josephine keep in contact with Lillian after I got back and just send us updates of how Abigail was doing. 
Um, and so I'd had an update a week beforehand, I think, about how Abigail was better and had moved to the main ward in the hospital, so away from the intensive baby ward where we met her. So that was really positive. So I thought I'd written the ending of my story that Abigail had survived and that this was a, a, a good news story. But now this message told another story. Josephine was writing to tell Maddie that tragically, baby Abigail had died. I felt really sort of disheartened and I, I wrote a message back to Josephine to send on to Lillian and then I emailed my editors and, and everyone agreed it was, it was really sad and also that it highlighted this issue really well that even a baby given the best care, sometimes a resistant infection can just take its toll on the body and be too much. Finally, in August 2018, Maddie published the article titled Scourge of Superbugs Killing Malawi's Babies. Alongside the Bureau and CNN articles, Josephine had written a powerful report for the Malawi Times. They did a a double-page spread and a special TV report. Maddie also wrote an article about the findings for the British Medical Journal. Lots of professors got in touch after seeing the article in the BMJ saying we didn't have any idea this was happening in developing countries and thank you for kind of bringing it to light in a way that wasn't a sort of boring study. And actually lots of people asked me if the BMJ had a toll-free link so that they could share it across their networks and that people could see it without having to pay. The Malawi Times, we wrote a couple of stories with them and Josephine told me this year, about a year later, that the Human Rights Commission in Malawi got in touch asking her about both stories. The Malawi Ministry of Health also later announced that it w- that too many babies were dying of infections in hospitals and that it would look into that as an issue. The biggest thing for me was that the American Centre for Disease Control got in touch and asked if they could use the CNN film in the launch. They were launching this big year-long programme where they were asking drug companies, food companies, biotech companies, anyone from private industry to government departments to individuals to make a pledge, and they wanted the pledges to be as specific as possible, to do something to reduce antibiotic resistance. So we'll prescribe 10% fewer antibiotics. I'm just pulling that number out of the air, but that's, for example. And so they wanted to play this film about Malawi in the launch of this event to show that it's a problem that's happening now and is hap- and that will massively affect developing countries. It's not every day that your reporting gets you invited to an important United Nations event, but that's where Maddie found herself. So I went off to New York really nervously, planned what I was going to say, practiced and practiced the day before, feeling absolutely terrified that I'd get on stage and suddenly freeze or that I'd start garbling and that I'd do it and, you know, everyone at my my organisation would hate me because I'd drag their name into the mud. But luckily I put on my suit and went up and all the practice turned out to be well worth doing because I just talked about my stories and said my piece. What we're talking about here are bacterial and fungal infections that have become resistant, immune to the drugs we use to treat them. Drugs that are used to save lives are now failing. That's why the World Health Organization has called AMR one of the greatest public health threats the world now faces. And it's not just happening in Malawi. 
My team is producing a series of stories from around the world showing how the problem is already affecting health systems. I had lots of people come up to me afterwards saying it was really good and they'd seen lots of films of this problem in the US or in, in England, but that they hadn't seen much of it in developing countries. Thanks to Madeleine Davis for telling that story. You can see important work that she's done on antibiotic resistance from around the world, all on her website, thebureauinvestigates.com. I'll put a link to this story in the show notes. This has been a tip-off, and I'm Maeve McClendigan. This episode was edited by the wonderful Chica Ayres, and our theme music is by Dice Muse. This series of The Tip-Off is made in association with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and thanks to funding from Charities Aid Foundation. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.